We also need to uh, remember Amanda and William, Charlie and Betty Jean Haynes's granddaughter and her husband. They just had a baby several weeks ago now, right? Uh, how many weeks has it been since Amanda had her baby? September 13th, yeah. So still, still a new little one. Maybe uh, I need to get with them and with her parents, and we need to get her a meal train or something started. Maybe we can figure out if, I don't know if you all have time to pitch in on that, but we need to see if we can't probably help them with food. That's a lot, having your first little one. Okay, let's do, uh, can we go to 355 up there, Mark? That's the last one in the PowerPoint today. Uh, it is from every stormy wind that blows. We were sitting at the breakfast table reading in the book of Hebrews this morning. This song is about, talks a lot about the mercy seat. Jesus is our mercy seat. And you know, the book of Hebrews talks all about how the one that was in the tabernacle and the temple was merely a picture and a shadow of what was to come. So here we're going to sing about it in this song. From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat. Tis found beneath the mercy seat. There is a place where Jesus sheds the oil of gladness on our heads, a place than all beside more sweet. It is the blood what mercy sees. There is a scene where spirits blend, where friend holds fellowship with friend. Sundered far by faith, they meet around one common mercy seat. Ah, whither could we flee for aid when tempted, desolate, dismayed? Two seventy in the hymnal. Are y'all able to stand? Can you stand up? <clears throat> Let's get some air in our lungs. Two seventy in the hymnal, the haven of rest. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea. So burdened with sin and distress Till I heard a sweet voice Saying Jesus is Lord And I entered the haven of rest Y'all sing with me I've anchored my soul In the haven of rest I'll sail the wild seas no The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep. In Jesus I'm safe evermore. I yielded myself to his tender embrace. 
fetters fell off and I anchored my soul. The haven of rest is my Lord. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. And though the tempest may sweep or the song of my soul since the Lord made me whole has been the old story so blessed of Jesus who'll say whosoever seas no more. You don't have to sail if you found a safe harbor, right? If you haven't found a safe harbor, then you might not know Jesus, right? But if, you, if you're in him, you don't have to sail the wild seas anymore. <laughs> right. What key do we do reach out and touch the Lord in, you know? Come on up, Lynn. Let's sing a little bit of that. You want to sing, reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by? You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. Give us a chord over there. Okay. Let's raise it up a little bit higher than that. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passed. You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he all right, one more time. Reach out, reach out, touch the Lord as He passes by. You'll find He's not too busy to hear. He's passing by this moment. He's passing by. Your needs to supply. Your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the as he goes by. Well, that's not bad. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44. Glad to have all of you here today. Glad to have those of you who are visiting with us. Glad to have all of you who are regulars here today. 
We offer, you know, this weekend is the Pilgrim's Festival. I don't have to go to it because I live close enough I can hear it. I tried to take a nap yesterday afternoon. I couldn't take a nap. <laughs> all of the noise. And I saw signs over there parking $40. We got free parking over here. Free parking. And uh, over there, you have to walk about a mile to get there and then stand up the whole time. They charge you to get in. Admission here is free, and you sit on padded pews. And you have air condition. What's the difference? Well, the difference is we have something to do with life, eternal life. And they just have entertainment. That's what I was in before I was converted is in the entertainment business. And doesn't mean that you can't be a musician and be a Christian, but it's difficult to live for the Lord in this world. Genesis chapter 44, if you open your Bibles there and We'll read just a few verses of Scripture. I have interrupted our series of studies on Joseph for two weeks. Spoke to you last week on the gospel, objective, and historical. And the week before on another topic, but today we're going to return to our series on Joseph. And according to my count, this is study number 75. 75, Genesis 44, verse 18. Judah, that's one of the sons of Jacob, came near unto him. That would be Joseph. He doesn't know Joseph is his brother. Joseph is the governor of Egypt. And he said, My Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant. For thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Do you have a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead. He doesn't realize that the guy he's talking to is the brother that he thinks is dead. And he, that is the one that's left at home, he's referring to Benjamin, he is left alone of his mother. That is to say, his mother has died. And his father loves him. Verse 21, And you said unto your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father. If he should leave his father, his father would die. And you said to us, your servants, except your younger brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. In other words, Joseph said, don't come back here to Egypt unless you have your younger brother Benjamin with you. And so we told that to our father. And our father said, okay, verse 25, go again. This is the second trip to Egypt to buy us a little food. There's a famine in the land. People are starving to death. And we said we can't go down if our youngest brother, unless he's with us. Then we may go down. We will not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. Thy servant, my father, said unto us, you know that my wife bare me two sons. He's speaking now of Rachel, who gave him Joseph and Benjamin. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he's torn in pieces, and I saw him not. Now, that's what they led their father to believe, that Joseph had been eaten up of beast. Again, he doesn't know he's talking to his brother that they sold 20 years ago. And my father said in verse 29, If you take this one also from me, Benjamin, and mischief befall him, you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So now Judah continues talking. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass 
when he sees that the lad is not with us, when he sees that Benjamin is not with us, he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety. Now he says, I, Judah, became surety. I became the guarantee that I'd bring Benjamin back. I became the surety unto my father, saying, If I bring him not back to thee, I will bear the blame forever. Now therefore, verse 33, I pray thee, let thy servant, let me stay instead of Benjamin. Keep me as a hostage. And then let the lad go with his brothers. How shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. May the Lord add his blessings to his word, his holy word, and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now, for those of you not familiar with this story, 20 years before, the brothers of Joseph were so jealous of him and envious of him that they sold him. They went home and told their father that they found his coat. They had put animal's blood on his coat. And they told their father that this is his coat, and we found his coat, and he had his blood on it. And so their father would conclude that a beast had eaten him up. They never told their father the truth. They lied to him. And uh, they had to make a trip eventually down to Egypt to get food because a famine had come upon the land. And uh, now this is their second trip. Now in our last study, you might remember, I entitled it The Silver Cup, and we learned three lessons in our last study. Three lessons we learned. Number one, it is both a wonderful and a dangerous thing to oppose, to plot against, to be envious of, or be jealous of one of God's faithful children. Second lesson we learned is in spite of all opposition and obstacles, the Lord will make a way out of no way for His children. He will advance them, He will establish them, and He will deliver them. And the third lesson we learned is the troublemakers cause trouble for God's children. will always pay dearly for the trouble they go to to cause trouble for a faithful child of God. Now I told you also that chapters 44 and 45 shouldn't really be divided because they tell one story which is the last great trial that Joseph is going to put on his brothers. Now today, we're going to consider, God willing, one aspect of that final trial. Again, they went down the first time to Egypt, not knowing that their brother Joseph, whom they had sold 20 years ago, had through a series of events, and you'll have to go back and get our studies to find out what those events were, or you can read the earlier chapters. Through a series of events orchestrated by God Almighty, the brother they sold passed through a lot of trouble, but he ends up as governor of Egypt. So when they go down to Egypt to get money, they have to get it from the governor. And the governor, as we'll see in just a moment in the Scripture, the governor, their brother Joseph, he recognized them immediately, but they didn't recognize him. And he didn't talk to them in their native language. He talked to them through a translator. He talked to them through an Egyptian translator. So the whole time they've been dealing with their brother Joseph that they sold as a slave, and they don't even know it. Now, this is the second trip into Egypt, and he told them, don't you come back here unless you bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. Now, Benjamin is Joseph's full-blood brother. They had the same mother, Rachel. The other boys were from Leah and the two maids of Leah and Rachel. So today, we're going to consider, God willing, if we can get through it, one aspect of the final trial, which I've entitled, Godly 
sorrow. You'll see where I get that passage in just a few minutes. So first of all, I will begin this study by asking this question, what in the world are the reasons, or what is the reason, Joseph is treating his brothers like this? What are the reasons behind Joseph's actions toward his brothers? Why is he doing all of these things? Why is he putting his brothers to the test? Why does he continue to conceal his true identity from his brothers? Well, I think Joseph has very good reasons. I've already shared some of them, but I'm going to share them again. Number one, he's doing these things to find his brothers out. Are they still the same rascals they were when he was 17 years old? When they planned to murder him, when they threw him in a pit intending to leave him there to whatever fate awaited him? When they sold him as a cheap piece of meat to a caravan of Ishmaelites headed for Egypt? Are they the same liars who deceived their brother, deceived their father, Jacob, who said they didn't know what happened to Joseph? All they knew, they had found his coat of many colors and it had blood all over it. Are they the same sons of the devil who for 20 years were so hardened that they never told their father the truth about Joseph and what really happened to him? Joseph is going to find them out. He is going to find out exactly who they really are. Now, many times Moses told the children of Israel, submit yourself to the Lord, look to the Lord, trust the Lord, walk with the Lord, and he will bless you. He will bless your going out and your coming in, your rising up and your sitting down. He will be with you in all things. He will deliver you. But if you rebel against it, be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Now the hand of God is upon Joseph. In other words, Joseph is the hand of God in finding out the sin of his ungodly brothers. And history attests to the fact that the Lord may use this person or that person, this circumstance or that circumstance, to bless or to curse, to open up or to cover up. I mean, let's not forget that all people, places, and situations are in the hand of God at his disposal to use however he pleases. And in this particular situation, he's using Joseph. Joseph is the heavy hand of God upon his brothers. He's going to find them out. And the first test that he gave them was taking Simeon. Remember that? When they first came on their first trip, he took Simeon hostage. He said, I'm going to keep him in prison till you come back with your brother Benjamin. You remember that? Well, Simeon, unlike Joseph and Benjamin, was not the son of Rachel. He was the son of Leah, the older sister of Rachel. Joseph knew that they cared for Simeon because he was their full brother. He was the full brother of Reuben, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and he was the half-brother to Dan, Naphtali, and Gad, and Asher, who were the sons of the two maids. Now, they didn't care about Joseph, but do they care about Simeon, their full brother? Well, Joseph's going to find out. The second test to find them out was to tell them to bring Benjamin back with them when they came. You see, how do we know? I want you to think through this with me. How do we know? How did Joseph know that when they first came to Egypt and Benjamin wasn't with them, how did Joseph know that Benjamin was even alive? He may have thought they did the same thing to Benjamin they did to me. 
How did he know that? He didn't know it. They told him a bunch of lies anyway, and now they said, well, our father didn't want him to come. He might have thought, yeah, that's a, a likely another lie. So we don't know. Perhaps this is why he demanded to see Benjamin himself with his own eyes. Or maybe he wanted to find out if Benjamin is alive, how they had treated him. Of course, there are other lessons that I could have could mention, but these two will suffice. Simeon was their full brother. Benjamin was their half-brother, but Joseph's full brother. And Joseph is directing things as he is to find his brothers out. He's going to find out the truth about them. Now, here's the heart of what I have to say to you today. And this can be a controversial subject. I hope it's not. But the second reason behind Joseph's strange action toward his brothers is, I believe, to bring them to repentance. I believe he wants to find them out, but I think he wants to bring them to repentance. I think this is the other side of the coin in finding his brothers out. He's going to put his brothers through a trial to find out what is in their hearts and to see if there has been any real change in them to discover if they are at all changed in their hearts and their minds and their souls about what they did to Joseph, if there's any regret at all in them because of that. Now, like most religious folks, they say the right thing. Turn back to chapter 42 for a moment if you have your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, there are pew Bibles. should be a pew Bible in front of you. You can use that or look on with somebody. Back to chapter 42 of, of uh, Genesis down to verse 21. Chapter 42 verse 21. Here, this is when they, on their first visit, they said, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. They're talking about what they did to Joseph. We saw the anguish of his soul when he begged us and we wouldn't hear him. This is why this is happening to us. And Reuben said, didn't I tell you don't sin against the child and you wouldn't hear me? Therefore, his blood is required. Look at verse 23. They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And when he heard that, the next verse says, he started crying, but he went out of the room <laughs> before they could see him weeping and crying. And that's when he took Simeon and bound him before their eyes, verse 24. So you see, you go back to chapter 44, they're, they're, they're talking right that sounds right. We're guilty. We did the wrong thing. But a lot of people can talk right when their life depends upon it. <laughs> and you come up before the judge, and you know this is to, for you to be hung by the neck until you're dead or put in the electric chair or whatever firing squad. Some states are now considering firing squads because they keep saying, that uh, to me, the most humane way of executing a person would be to give him those shots and put him asleep and then turn it up. And I can't understand how they say, well, doctors can knock folks out to have an operation on them, but we can't knock them out and then turn it up and make their hearts quit when they're dying. That's just an excuse. So now some, some states are considering what I think is much worse, the firing squad. I'd rather be put to sleep than I had stood up before a firing squad. <laughs> so if that ever happens to me, you just say, remember Brother Sasser said he'd rather be put to sleep. <laughs> That'd be all right with me. Well, Joseph wants to know, are his brothers the same or have they changed? Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to come back here in just a moment. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. You have 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, chapter 7. And I just want you to read a verse or two here with me. 2 Corinthians, 
chapter 7. Paul the Apostle wrote a pretty strong letter to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was having all kinds of problems. And he wrote them a strong letter to rebuke them and also to bring them to repentance. And so he's writing now, he did that in the first Corinthian letter. Now this is the second Corinthian letter, and he's writing back to say something a little different. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Verse 8. Though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle has made you sorry, though it were only for a season. Now I rejoice that you were, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. Behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it worked in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, yea, what fear, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, what revenge. In all these things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And that seems to be confusing, and here's what he's saying. He said, I'm not sorry that I made you sorry. Because you sorrowed unto repentance. He said, I didn't want to make you sorry. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I didn't want to bring you down. But now that it had the proper effect and there's been a real change in you, a real repentant spirit in you, I'm not sorry that it made you sorry. (laughs) Now I rejoice that I made you sorry. Does that make sense to you? Hope, hope you're understanding what I'm saying. And in here, Paul distinguishes between godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. And he says here that the sorrow of the world, that kind of repentance, should be repented of because it's false. And he says in verse 10, godly sorrow works repentance to to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. Now, how many of you have ever heard of crocodile tears? You ever heard that saying, crocodile tears? Do you know that human beings are the only species that can produce emotional tears? We can produce tears as a result of our emotional state. No other being that God made can do that. The expression crocodile tears <laughs> refers to phony or insincere tears or displays of emotion which come from the mysterious tendency of the crocodile to release tears while they're eating their prey. They grab a hold of something and start eating it, and tears start coming out their face while they are out their eyes while they are eating their dinner. And we've gotten this phrase, you're just crying crocodile tears. That means it's insincere. It's not real. You think the crocodile feels sorry about eating his prey? You remember the story about the two guys that that ran into a a bear? (laughs) You remember that? If you ever watch the History Channel or any of those uh, channels on television that tell you about uh, animals and so on, they'll always tell you when you run into a bear, don't ever try to outrun him because a bear can run up to 30 miles an hour or better. And they said the best thing for you to do is stand still and make yourself as tall as you can. Well, I heard of two guys that ran into a bear. (laughs) 
And one of them started taking his tennis shoes off. Now his friend said, you can't outrun that bear. I said, don't have to. He said, don't. No. I said, all I got to do is outrun you. <laughs> if I outrun you, I'll be all right. <laughs> well, the crocodile tears is what Joseph, he wants to find out what kind of tears his brothers are shedding. Paul tells us that crocodile tears need to be repented of because they don't lead to a change of life. Now, I could have you turn to all these passages of Scripture, but I'm just going to quote them to you. Listen to Pharaoh, Pharaoh that Moses went before. Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord. Pharaoh said that. He said, the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord for me that there be no more thunderings and hail, and I'll let you go, and you can stay no more. And Moses said to him, as soon as I'm gone out of the city, I'll spread abroad my hands to the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, and there'll be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Pharaoh said... I have sinned, and I and my people are wicked. As soon as Moses went out and raised his hand, verse 33, I'm reading from Exodus 9. You can look it up later. Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh. He spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. <clears throat> and when Pharaoh saw that the earth and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he hardened his heart. And he said to his servants, he said to his servants, I'm not going to let the children of Israel go. It says, and his heart was hardened, and he would not let the children of Israel go, <clears throat> as the Lord has spoken by man. The prophet Samuel, he told King Saul to utterly wipe out the Amalekites. But when Samuel came in to check on it, the prophet Samuel. He heard some sheep and goats. And he said, didn't you do what I told you to do? And King Saul said, yeah, I did it. But he said, the people kept the best sheep and the best goats so we could offer sacrifice to the Lord. That was his excuse. And Samuel said, bring Agag in here to me. And he brought Agag in there, and it said, and Samuel hacked him to pieces. And he said to Saul, because you've rebelled against God, he's replaced you. He's found somebody else going to take your place. He's found a man after his own heart, and he made David. He anointed David. David didn't become king for many years. But listen to what Saul said when Samuel faced him with his sin. Saul said, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. I have sinned, he said. But honor me now before the elders of the people and before Israel and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. What was that? That's crocodile tears. He went on doing, he went on trying to kill David after all that was happening. I know all of you have heard of Judas Iscariot who betrayed our Lord Jesus Christ. But 30 pieces of silver, what did he do? Matthew 27, Judas, when he had betrayed him and he saw that he was condemned, he told that Jesus was condemned, he repented himself. And he brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, and he said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? You take care of that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and went out and hanged himself. What was he trying to do? He's trying to atone for his sin. You know what he had? He had the sorrow of the world. The sorrow of the world works death. The sorrow of the world springs from worldly and selfish principles. Usually, usually nothing more than a concern for the loss of worldly things, such as riches and honor and the gratification of the flesh. 
Joseph wants to know if his brothers are crying crocodile tears or tears of repentance. Crocodile tears are temporary. But godly sorrow that leads to repentance is life-changing. Crocodile tears are caused by the situation, but they don't change the heart. Crocodile tears, are they're not evidence of a changed heart. Crocodile tears do not move one to turn to the Lord. We're told in Revelation chapter 16 that when the Lord starts sending judgment upon the earth, once he will do one day in a very vivid way, it says that rather than repent, that men began to curse God. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 8, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. But then what did they do? They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and they repented not of their deeds. Isaiah put it this way, For the people turn not unto him that smites them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Remember when I told you years ago my dad would get a belt? Now, I'd get put in prison. He would too today. But my dad would get a belt to punish me if I had done something really wrong. And I learned a little trick. <laughs> See, when my dad would get a belt, I'd just run at him and wrap myself around his leg. And then he's, he's trying to hit me. He's hitting himself more than he was hitting me. <laughs> Guess what? When the Lord begins to deal with you, when the Lord gives you trouble, don't run from Him, run to Him. Run to Him. He's doing it for your good. He's not doing it to hurt you. He's doing it because He loves you. He's doing it to correct something. Get your attention about something. Listen again, Isaiah 9, 13. The people turn not unto him that smites them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. All kinds of things are happening now in the United States of America. Is it bringing anybody to seek the Lord? Is it bringing anybody to call on the Lord? Oh, no. We just say, well, Mother Nature is mad. Our Father Time is to blame. When's the last time you ever heard somebody say that escaped one of these hurricanes or one of these floods? The Lord spared me. No, they say, I've been lucky. I was real lucky. No, you weren't lucky. God Almighty spared you. Most of you have had situations in your life that could have taken you out of here. You know why you're still here? It's the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Unless the Lord intervenes by His Spirit, the worst thing can happen to us is we're taken out of here. Now, this passage in 2 Corinthians 7 tells us that there's a godly sorrow that leads to real repentance. Now, I want to clarify something for you real quick. Being sorry is not repentance. It might accompany repentance, I think if this, this is my personal opinion, if the Spirit of the Lord, when the Spirit of the Lord dealt with me and showed me I was a sinner and I needed a Savior, I was sorry for my sins. But Saul was sorry too when Samuel confronted him, and Pharaoh was sorry too when Moses confronted him, but they didn't repent. There was no change in their life. There was no change in the direction of their lives. Everything continued as it was. So there's a godly sorrow that leads to real repentance, and there's a sorrow of the world that leads to death. Now, if you look, I'm just going to make some brief comments here. Verse 11, if you're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, he said, Behold the selfsame thing you sorrowed after a godless sort, what carefulness it worked in you. He said, I know that there's been a change in you because you've moved from caring less to carefulness. 
He says, what clearing of yourselves? That has reference to making things right. He said, you make things right. You showed that you had a changed mind and a changed heart because you wanted to make things right. Then he talks about indignation. Indignation against sin, taking sin seriously. He talked about fear. He moved you to a godly fear, a fear of you, you, the, the burden of your life began, began to be, I want to please the Lord. I don't want to displease him. I'm concerned about his will now. What does he want me to do? And then he says, restoration and correction. What vehement, vehement desire talking about restoring and correcting things. And then he talked about zeal. You became zealous for the Lord and for His honor and for His glory. As I say, if I'm shown that this was my experience when I was shown that I was a sinner and I looked back over my life and I looked at what I was then, I was filled with remorse and regret and sorrow and I still am to this day. I'm still filled with remorse and regret and sorrow about what I was and what I did before the Lord saved me. And guess what? I've done some things since I've been saved that I regret, that I'm filled with sorrow for. You see, because of the human heart, the human heart is filled with unbelief and darkness. Often certain doctrines of the Word of God are twisted. People don't like to hear about repentance, but when Jesus came preaching, he came preaching repentance and faith. The New Testament people preached repentance and faith. And what we have now today, I don't believe that repentance is a work. I believe it's a work that God works in the heart. I believe it is God who works a change in the heart. I said last week that faith is believing God, regardless of how I feel. I might not feel like a Christian, but I believe God, and therefore I am a child of God, regardless of how I feel. I may not look like a Christian often, I may not talk like a Christian often, but if God has saved me, I'm one of his children. Same way I said I'm not a sinner because I feel like a sinner or because I look like a sinner or because I act like a sinner or because I believe I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner because God says I'm a sinner. <laughs> That's why I'm a sinner. He says I'm a sinner. And when it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, if God says I'm saved, I'm saved. But I don't know about you, but in my own case, I have a lot of regrets and a lot of remorse. Remorse and regrets don't mean a thing. As I've shown you, it could be crocodile tears. But if it's godly sorrow, then he says it leads to a repentance not to be repented of. Our salvation is by the grace of God through faith, right? We're saved by the grace of God, but we're saved through faith. We're saved by the grace of God through faith, and that faith, I believe, brings repentance. I'll, resp I'll explain in just one moment. There are only two ways to die, my friends. One is to die in sin, and the other is to die in faith. There are only two ways to live. One is to live in sin, doing what I want to do, and the other is to live in faith, trying, by the grace of God, do what the Lord would have me do. Now, when you read the book of Hebrews and you get to chapter 11, that great chapter of the heroes of faith, you're going to find in Hebrews chapter 11 that some went through the flames, some went through the floods, some suffered great affliction, some unimaginable sufferings, some endured bondage, 
Some were tortured, some were stoned to death, and some were slain with the sword. But one thing characterized every single one of them. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 13, these all died in faith. That's what it says. They all died in faith. And we're told in the sixth verse that without faith it is impossible to please him. Now, some of you are going to be struggling now as a result of some things that I've said, and you're going to say, well, Brother Sasser, I don't know if I've ever really repented. All right, well, let me close with giving you a little light on that. Would you try to find the book of Galatians, chapter 5? I tell you what, I'll, I'll quote a couple of verses to you. Here's what it says in Romans eight twenty nine. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you hear that? That's Romans 8, 29. Those whom God predestinated to be saved, those whom he saved, he said he predestinated to be conformed, he predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his Son. What does that mean? It means he wants to make us, he will make us like his son. Well, there are a lot of people that don't think that conforming work starts until you die. I think it starts right now in this world. I personally believe that he begins to deal with us now. And that's why a lot of times we have affliction. That's why we have chastisement. That's why we have trouble. Because the Lord is doing that to get our attention. When we're headed in the wrong way, we're thinking the wrong way, we're going in the wrong way, and he gives us some trouble to bring us to repentance, to bring us to turn again to him. See, if you've got a corn and you've got two heads on that corn, a nickel, and it's got two heads on it, or it's got two tails on it, what do you have? You have a counterfeit corn. Now, one side of the corn of salvation is faith, and the other side is repentance. And if I'm turning to Christ, I'm turning away from something. Does that make sense to you? I'm going to open up this word repentance just briefly for you before I quit today. But if I turn away from you, if I turn to this cross up here, I have to turn away from you to turn to that cross. If I say, I've turned to that cross, but I don't ever turn back that way, I'm lying or I'm deceived. Does that make sense to you? You can't turn when you turn to Christ, that's called faith, turning from what you've been, your sins and all that, that's called repentance. Romans 8.29 says that God has determined that he has predestinated that he's going to conform all of his children to the image of his son. And that conforming process begins in this world, in this life. And it is tough. It is difficult. I'm not throwing something at you. I'm putting it on myself. It is tough. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. The leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It is tough. All right, here's what Galatians 5, 17 says. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, and so that you can't do what you would. Now listen how the International Standard Version translates that. What the flesh wants is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit wants is opposed to the flesh. The English version has it this way. What our human nature wants is opposed to what the spirit wants, and what the spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. These two are enemies, and the means, and this means that you cannot do what you want to do. What do I want to do? I would like to serve the Lord without any kind of sin. I'd like to serve the Lord perfectly. I'd like to be perfectly conformed to the image of his son. But I'm still here in this world, and so it's still a battle for me. I'm not working my way to salvation. I am saved. It is salvation working itself out in me. 
For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God who is working in me and in you. You know what? The Bible says that when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're given a new nature. Isn't that right? Well, if there's no struggle, it means I just have one nature. <laughs> I mean, you got the old nature of the, of the flesh, and you got the new nature of the Holy Spirit. And I just read it to you from Galatians 5. These are contrary, the one to the other. They are enemies, the one to the other. So your old flesh is always fighting to have its way. People might think you've gotten, uh, you know, they might want to put you in an insane asylum if they hear you talking out loud, just talking to yourself, saying, you're not going to have your way. You just sit down and shut up. And I first saw people with cell phones, and they had things in their ears, and they were walking around talking. I didn't realize they were talking to somebody through a cell phone. I thought they were idiots. I thought something was wrong. Turns out I was the idiot because I didn't know about this new technology. And so we're always having to talk to ourselves and say to our flesh, you're not going to have your way. This is not what the Lord wants. This is not what the Lord says. But that, that's all evidence of repentance, my friends. See, faith, faith begins, but it continues. Don't you believe God every day? Of course you do. And you have to repent every day. You have to continue to turn from things, continue to turn from things, continue to do battle with the flesh and with the world and with the devil. This is an ongoing battle. That's why they put on those tombstones and cemeteries, rest in peace. Because they didn't have any peace while they were here. And if you don't have any kind of battle in yourself, it's just because you've got one nature. If the Lord ever gives you a new nature, there'll be a battle between the flesh and between the spirit. All right. The New Testament uses a, a Greek term, metanoia, and translates that repentance. Okay, let's think about that. Meta, M-E-T-A. Meta means to change. Noia means the mind what about metamorphosis? Metamorphosis, that's when a little caterpillar becomes a beautiful butterfly. You see? So see, see you knew some Greek anyway. Metamorphosis, this meta, metanoia means a change of mind. Now, if you have a change of mind... If you, have a, a, if, if you begin to think differently about things, it's going to impact how you live. If you have a change of mind, it's going, you're going to have a change of direction in your life. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Of course not. But there's a struggle there. You have to keep going. You have to keep looking to the Lord. You keep trusting in Him. You keep calling on Him. That's what this repentance is. This is a change of mind that results in a change of life. It's what happens when we have these organisms that turn into petroleum and coal turns into diamonds and caterpillars to butterflies and tadpoles to frogs and sinners to saints. I know this, if a mind is changed, a change in life will follow. And you tell me, the publican that Jesus mentioned who went to the temple and would not even look up to heaven, he smote on his breast and he said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What changed his mind about himself? The Lord by his Spirit. What did the Apostle Paul mean when he said, In me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing? What did he mean if he wasn't saying that he hated everything about himself that wasn't conformed to the will of God? So here, I, I'm, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that the brothers of Joseph, I believe that they are really changed. 
I believe they really changed. I believe, that, I believe there's been a real heart change in them, and we're going to see that in the coming weeks. There's been a real heart change. They're not the same guys. They're going to be brought, they have been brought to a repentant spirit. And they lived before the Holy Spirit was given. But there's been a real change in them. But Joseph is trying to find out, he's trying to find out where they are. That's why he's doing all that. He wants to know what's really in their heart. And you know, the Holy Spirit of the Lord will find out what's in our hearts. He will. And I pray that when he looks in our hearts, that he will find a heart that says, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to do what you want me to do. I know I've failed. I know I have been many times unfaithful. I've not done everything I should have done, done a lot of what I've done, but I do love you. It's like the Lord said to Peter. He asked him three times, do you love me? And the first two times Peter said, I do love you. Then when he asked him the third time, Peter said, Lord, you know all things, and you know I love you. I don't love you like I ought to love you. I don't love you like I sh I'm going to love you. I, I don't love you as I should love you, but I do love you. So can you say this morning, I love the Lord? If you love the Lord, then you want to walk with him. You want to talk with him. You want to do his will. And uh, he will continue to work with you and in you until he conforms you perfectly to the image of his Son, which will not take place until we're glorified. But I believe that conforming process begins here. You know that psychiatrist, would you stand together with me? Psychiatrist have learned only in the last several decades that the root cause of most human problems is guilt. Is guilt. We don't know what to do with the guilt. We carry it on our minds, on our shoulders. We don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Let me tell you what to do with it. Cast it on Christ. Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. That's what the scripture said. Cast everything on him and let him bear it instead of you bearing it. Trust him. Look to him. Bow to his will. However poorly, however imperfectly you have to say it, say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I believe on your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He's my Savior. I want to serve Him. That's the confession, I believe, of faith. And I believe if that's a real confession, you will want to do His will. And again, that will, that will be a struggle. But He'll win. He will win. You may be thrown up and thrown down and thrown sideways, but you won't be thrown off the boat. Noah and his family, they had a rock and rolling time during the flood, but none of them fell off the boat. <laughs> they were all on the boat, and that's where it'll be with us. I hope you've understood these things. Joseph wants to find his brothers out, and he wants to find out if they have really been changed. And that's what repentance is about. It's a real change in their life. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us, who gave himself for us, and I pray that your Spirit will work in our hearts the desire and the will to do your will. We pray, Father, that for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ you will forgive us of our sins. You have said in your word, that if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. 
We know that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And this is the record that God has given His Son, and he that believeth in His Son may have eternal life. Oh, Father, work in us a work that cannot be disputed even by ourselves, that we might walk with you have the victories and the blessings that you've promised. We might avoid all the chastisement and all of these things that come to the disobedient. We ask you, Father, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to fill us with your Spirit, teach us your Word. Thank you for giving us this time together this morning. And uh, we thank you and praise you, give you the glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for his sake. Amen.